some ways, this is our uh, midweek service just two days later. But in other ways, of course, it is a unique and special opportunity. Uh, let me say that we gather tonight in light of Sunday. And when we gather Sunday on Resurrection Day, on Easter Sunday, we will gather then. Hope you'll join us. We'll gather then in light of today, in light of tonight. Which, of course, is simply to say that we need not uh, try our hardest to feel sorry for the Lord Jesus tonight. We gather tonight in light of the cross and the resurrection. I appreciate what James said and what he prayed. We do, uh, if, in case you're wondering, I'm not sure I can explain it to you perfectly. Uh, I was talking about it with my mother-in-law this evening. But it is Good Friday. And we, we do understand that, don't we? We understand, as Pastor James prayed, why in so many ways on that day it was not good at all. But we understand in the love and the providence of God why it is Good Friday through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just in case you're not already there, in Psalm 22, would you find your place there? Psalm 22, and may, may God help us tonight as we look at this passage. Psalm 22, let's pray again. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we know that the, the worship doesn't end when we finish singing and come to your word. In many ways, this is the pinnacle, the central focus, the main priority of our worship is to hear from you and your word. Lord, we we beg, we plead with you, even now, that we might hear from you through your word, that you would make it plain and clear to us through the Holy Spirit. We also thank you for the worship that we have already enjoyed. You are worthy, and that is our desire tonight, to praise you, to give you thanks. Again, Lord, would you give us understanding tonight? Would you open our eyes to behold wonderful things, Lord? Open our eyes if we are uh, dead in our sins and trespasses. Open our eyes if we are believers and, as we all do, need to be reawakened to your glory. So help us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we come to the Word of God now, and our text tonight is Psalm 22. I'm, I'm going to begin in just a minute with another verse. You don't have to turn there, but I want to, I want to show you how this is really all over the New Testament. The title uh, tonight, the text is Psalm 22. The title, the first part of the title, uh, ends with a question mark. The title is this, David dying on a cross, Good Friday, crucifixion, and the death of Christ. David dying on a cross, Good Friday, crucifixion, and the death of Christ. Let me, let me jump right in. Uh, point number one tonight. Point number one is this, Jesus is the lead singer in worship. Point number one, if you're taking notes on paper or just in your mind, doesn't matter, 
Point number one is this. Jesus is the lead singer in worship. Listen to the Bible. Listen to what it says as I read here from Hebrews 2.12. Again, you don't have to go there. You're going to hear this multiple times. Hebrews 2.12. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. There was an advertisement. Uh, the advertisement, it's, it's, it's a real advertisement. And the heading or the, the main ad is this. Contemporary worship leader. And here's what it says. It says, do you have a passion for creating dynamic and compelling worship experiences? Do you love leading people to worship through the context of modern music, would you be passionate to continue to bring vision for the continued evolution of the worship experience as a context for weekly gathering at this church, such and such church? Well, if you're questioning it all, if am I bringing that up just to somehow uh, put it down? No, uh, don't think it's Anyway, inherently terrible or anything like that. The job summary, the job summary for this advertisement goes on to say this. Lead the contemporary worship team to create a dynamic and compelling worship experience. Word keeps popping up. For church attenders responsible for overseeing the worship experience for the contemporary worship service as well as being a visionary who can support the continued evolution of contemporary worship. Well, if you know me, I, you know I probably wouldn't, would not word an advertisement like that. It would not be our church's advertisement, but neither, as I say, neither do I present that merely to bash it or something like that. No, the point rather is actually, listen to this, actually in that verse that I read to you, and in a minute I'm going to read the context, and you'll hear the verse again. The author of the book of Hebrews actually puts those words on the lips of Jesus. What words? And, and tell me again, what are we talking about? Remember point number one, Jesus is the lead singer in worship. We appreciate Zach. Uh, Jason's going to lead our last song in the service this evening in a bit. But Jesus is the true worship leader in the church. Listen to this and listen to the context It was fitting, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Again, that's Jesus from Hebrews 2.12. Now look at verse 22 of Psalm 22. Look at Psalm 22.2. And don't take my word for it tonight. Look into the Word of God. This is the third time that you've heard this verse now. Psalm 22, 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. 
In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. It is wonderful. It's a gift to the church to have competent and worthy song leaders. We might call them worship leaders, and they may even help to create a true worship experience. But the true worship leader in the church is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I base that on Hebrews 2.12, which is based on Psalm 22.22. Jesus is the lead singer in worship. He leads us. He leads all of the redeemed. This is an entry point into our text tonight, which is Psalm 22. And it just so happens that beginning in verse 22 is a turning point in the psalm. But more on that in just a minute. Let's pull back for just a moment. If we could pull back and let me give you just a, uh, an overview of Psalm 22. Uh, it's got 31 verses, and we're not going to look in great detail at um, all of those verses tonight. But let's pull back for just a moment and get an overview of Psalm 22. Uh, let me do it like this. Uh, no doubt uh, you've heard of uh, bipolar disorder. Uh, the, the Mayo Clinic. Bipolar disorder is a mental health condition that causes extreme mood swings that include emotional highs and lows. So the lows we refer to as depression. The highs we refer to as mania. Now this uh, bipolar disorder used to be called, any of you know, uh, manic depression. So what I want to say is that this psalm, Psalm 22, is both like and unlike this. Unlike what we call bipolar disorder. What in the world do I mean? What in the world? Psalm 22, I would say, is both like and unlike. You see, in verse 22, which is the first verse that we've really looked at here, point number one, in verse 22, it begins what you might refer to as the, the, the mania stage, the, the stage that's full of joy. I do not think that Psalm 22 or the psalmist, who in this case is David, I do, I do not say that David was manic depressive. That's not my point. My point is simply to say is that here you have the full spectrum. You, you have the, the full gamut, as it were. You have for one-third of Psalm 22, one-third, and that's the last third, you, you need to know Psalm 22 because you need to know Jesus. The last third of Psalm 22 is, is a high, high. And the first two-thirds of Psalm 22, the high is so high and the last third because the low and precisely because the low is so low, do you see? You see, it's, it's just very simple, really. If you think about it, verses 1 through 21 is he utters his complaints. Verses 1 through 21 is, is, is low, and it is really low. It's, it's the lowest of the low, do you see? And then something happens, some light comes on, something changes, and I think 
in part because it was so low, that's why it becomes so high. Well, the first thing that we see tonight, point number one, is that Jesus is the lead singer in worship. Jesus is the lead singer in worship. Number two is this. Number two, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27. And again, I told you I would say this. Please listen carefully and closely. Matthew 27. Verse 32. Obviously, we're in the Gospels. We're in the New Testament. Verse 32 of Matthew 27 says, As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him. Notice that, mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. If your heart is so hardened to the truth of God, even a miracle in your face will not turn your heart to believe. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. In verse 44, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him. In the same way. We've read there from Matthew 27, 32 through 44. Let me just point out a few quick things to you. Listen to these things. You may not have grabbed them right when we were reading that, but let me emphasize them now. Listen to this. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. Or how about this? When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Or how about this one? And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. Point number one is that Jesus is the lead singer in worship. Point number two is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we glance back now to Psalm 22, there's, there's one more thing from the Gospels, uh, from the New Testament. And it's when the Gospels tell us, listen, it's when the, the New Testament tells us that about the ninth hour, 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, do you know this? He cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? That's the Gospels. That's the New Testament. That's David. That's verse one. Do you see? That's verse one of Psalm 22. Look at it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Psalm 22, verse 3, yet you are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued, and you, they trusted and were not put to shame. The Lord Jesus takes these words on his own lips. Uh, the Lord Jesus takes these words on his own mouth. I- I'll say it again. It was, a, it was about the ninth hour, and the Lord Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, and you know the story, right? You know that some of the bystanders there thought he was calling who? They thought he was calling Elijah. He's speaking there in Aramaic. When he says, Lemma Sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is he saying? Why is Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does he not know why he is dying on the cross? I say he knows. This is the purpose, the very purpose for which he came. I happen to agree with those who say that when Jesus takes on his lips on the cross, Psalm 22, verse 1, I agree with those who say the reason he does that is because he's got the whole psalm in his mind. In other words, he's not just quoting verse 1, he's thinking about the entire psalm. Because what we call the Old Testament is and was the Bible of Jesus. And so Psalm 22, we can look at it as a prayer of Jesus. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts that David was a prophet The Bible calls David a prophet, which means, boys and girls, you know, right? It means that even though he may not have understood everything that he said, that he looked forward in what he wrote and he spoke of the glory of Christ and of the sufferings of Christ. And this is one of those places. And it's not just verse 1. We've already seen how in verse 22 it's, Directly picked up in Hebrews 2.12. And if you didn't get this earlier, Hebrews says, Jesus said this. Now, wait a minute. Jesus of Nazareth wasn't born when Psalm 22 was written. That's David's words. Well, yeah, it's David's words. But the Bible says that's what Jesus said. David spoke better than he knew. Our lives, if we are Christians in this life, are characterized by trials and by suffering because our lives are patterned after our Savior. And there are highs and there are mostly lows in Psalm 22. I only have three points, and let me give you the third one now. 
The third one is a cry of celebration. A cry of celebration. Another way to say point number two, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, uh, a cry of dereliction. You ever heard that before? A cry of dereliction. What's that? That's my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The cry of dereliction. But then in verses 22 through 31, there's a cry of celebration. Let me say this to you tonight. God will sometimes allow his people to feel completely abandoned in their suffering and trials. Listen to me. God has allowed in the past, and I would venture to say God will sometimes allow his people to feel completely abandoned in their suffering and in their trials. Have you ever felt forsaken by God? Have you ever felt forsaken by God, maybe in your prayers, hitting a wall? Your prayers are unanswered. The reason that I say that God will sometimes allow his people to feel completely abandoned in their suffering and trials is is because of the biblical evidence. It's because of Jesus. It's because of David here in Psalm 22. Is anybody thinking of the Old Testament character I'm thinking of? It's because of Job. What is Psalm 22 about tonight, dear friends? Psalm 22, listen, it's a lament. It's a lament. We don't need to always be celebrating and be happy and putting on a face. The Bible's filled with something called lament. The book of Psalms is filled over and over with something called lament. Psalm 22, what is it? It's a lament for the innocent sufferer. It's a lament for the innocent sufferer. Again, think about Job. Do you say that Job's completely innocent? No, I'm not saying Job was sinless or perfect. You're saying David was sinless? No, of course not. But in this particular instance, we don't know what the background was for David. We don't know what was going on. It could have been with his son Absalom's death. It could have been that he prayed, that David prayed, verse 1, because he was the father and later the son would pray, verse 1. Do you see? But whatever the case, we know, we know because of the whole Bible that Psalm 22 is about Jesus. It's the prayer of Jesus. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Jesus is not only the goal of prayer, Jesus prays with us. And so Jesus is the only true innocent sufferer. You know that tonight? You may be here. Listen to me. You may be here and you have suffered much. You may have suffered in a way that we wouldn't believe if you shared with us. And you would almost be hesitant to share because it sounds so unbelievable. Let me assure you that none of us in this room has suffered under the wrath of God the way that Jesus, David's son, suffered. Let me assure you that the one in this room or in this world who has suffered most Number one, God knows and God cares. Number two, there is only one and ultimately one innocent sufferer who is the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Psalm 22? It's a lament, or at least the first two-thirds is, 
It's a lament by an innocent sufferer. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Psalm 22, verses 22 through 31, does not mention the word resurrection. But something happened to David. Well, I can tell you because it's right in the text. It's, it's you heard. He prays to God, you heard. And earlier when he opened Psalm 22, he said, why are you, why are you not hearing? Why are you not listening? Do you see? Here I am in the worst condition of my life. And to make matters worse, you are turning a deaf ear to me. You have abandoned me. But all of this leads to a cry of celebration. Jesus is unique. He's unique in, from your suffering. He's unique from David's suffering. He's unique from Job's suffering. Jesus not only felt abandoned, Jesus uniquely was forsaken of the Father. The Father turned his face away for everyone, for everyone who will ever repent and believe. As Pastor James prayed tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ drank the cup of the wrath of God down to its dregs. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As though to testify to all of those around that he was the innocent sufferer, that he was not forsaking or that he was not suffering, excuse me, for his own sin. Do you see? Do you see? It's not. It's not. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's going on? He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on. But why have you forsaken me? The innocent sufferer, the Lamb of God, dies in the place of sinful men and women. He dies as your substitute. And even Psalm 22, even Psalm 22 begins to give a glimpse of the victory of God in the resurrection. Let me close with this. We've seen from Hebrews 2.12 that Jesus is the lead singer in worship. We've seen, secondly, the cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then third, it all leads to the last third of the psalm, a cry of celebration. A cry of celebration. Because he has been heard, he has been delivered. I mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was eventually hanged as a traitor, or so they said that he was a traitor to his own people. But before he was hanged as a traitor, what we would call a faithful traitor, he was imprisoned and he wrote this. Not only is Jesus Christ the goal of our prayer, he himself also accompanies us in prayer. He who has suffered every want and has brought it before God has prayed for our sake in God's name, not my will, but thy will be done. Your salvation and my salvation hangs completely on Jesus, on his righteousness and on his death and on his resurrection. It all hangs on Jesus. And if it doesn't hang on that, then it falls completely flat to the ground. Completely flat. He said this, Now we know that there is no longer any suffering on earth in which Christ will not be with us. Romans 8, friends, Nothing can separate you from the love of God. 
Jesus alone is the innocent sufferer. And God heard his prayer by raising him from the dead. Let's pray together. Join me. We have a brief moment of silence. Lord, we thank you for Psalm 22. We thank you that these are David's words, but first they are your words. They are the word of God and they are the words of Christ, the words of our Lord Jesus. And we thank you that without his death and resurrection and ascension and intercession, without his ongoing ministry, without his praying for us, that we would certainly fail, but we thank you that he cannot, and therefore we who are in Christ will never fail because we are in Christ. We thank you that it is indeed Good Friday. We bless your name. We thank you, as it says here, that you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. Help us to praise you even in our suffering. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.